Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Church Podcast. hot seat a conversation on controversies and today um, we have a special speaker to talk about a really really tough topic Um, and the topic is racism and um, so this is one of those topics that there's a lot about it especially in the news it's all over the place but what does the bible say about it and we're going to dive into it but Um, As our speaker gets ready to come up, let me kind of tell you who's speaking today. His name is Jonathan Samuels. And Jonathan, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Jonathan, pretty much, we make the letter 10, see? Um, It's beautiful. He's got his own mic. He's going to let me have it in just a second. Um, But I think, none of you can stop seeing 10 now, Um, but... Here's the deal. Jonathan growing up, I mean, you, you really were. You were like one of my kids. My own, my, he was in my youth group, but, he, I mean, he slept on my couch um, just constantly at our house. And I love this guy right here. Um, I love what him and his wife Dara are doing and just how God is using them. Um, they were our youth pastors here. Um, and he just has a great heart. And I'm super, super proud of Jonathan, and the word that he has for you is absolutely incredible today. So Foundation Church, can you give it up for my friend Jonathan Samuels? Thank you, thank you. It's good to be home. I see you guys have a couple updates. That has been phenomenal. Eight churches in a completely different country affecting the world in a way you can't even imagine. Aren't you glad you have leadership who leads in that way? Would you give a hand to Pastor Justin? for what he's doing, saying we're making Jesus famous. That's awesome. Well, I got a couple updates myself, a couple updates. Um, So my wife and I, we have recently moved to Florida, right? So we live in West Palm Beach, Florida. We had a church out there. And it was, it's been a whirlwind. It's only been four weeks. That's why they're not out here with us. But we just we flew out. And basically, they're like, hurricane. So we're like, all right, where's the shutters, right? It was crazy. It was bananas. But another update is I got two little chocolate chunks now, right? I got two kids right here. That's the funny picture. And we have another one, the girl. She's two and a half. Her name is Gracie. I just love her. She's hyper. She's running around. She's giving me a dose of my own medicine, and then my son, his name is Judah, and so they're excited uh, that I get to come down here, but they miss me, and I miss them, and they're going to they're gonna come and visit next time I come so you guys can see them. So there's been some updates. 
Like you said, my name is Jonathan, but I used to go by, I still go by, Chocolate. And so, Justin's giving me permission that every time I get to speak on the weekend, we can call it Chocolate Sunday. So, welcome to Chocolate Sunday. Now, some of you, some of you are veterans in the room, and you saw me, and you knew, ah, service is about to be quick today, right? Like, some of y'all were like, this dude get out in 15 minutes. Like, prepare kids' ministry and lunch. We're about to get out, right? I just want to tell you, it's not going to be that type of Sunday. I love you, though. (laughs) It's just not. It's not going to be that type of Sunday. So, just a heads up. uh, I'm Liberian, and we speak fast, so I'll be speaking fast today, but just get the podcast if if you missed something, Um, and, uh, and we'll be talking about some good, substantive things today. We're talking about racism, the subject of racism, and inherent with this subject is this fear of being called a racist, and some of you guys are already having anxiety. They're like, at the end of it, he's like, well, are the racists, please stand up, right? Like, that's not going to happen. You don't have to worry about it. We're not going to be like, raise your hand if you need Jesus right now. Like, that's not going to happen. We're going to be talking about racism. You can remove the fear. All my white folks in the room, they already got their phones out. Like, look at my contacts. I got black friends. I do. Look at it. Look at it. It's top five, right? <laughs> All the black people in the room are like, racism. I can't be racist. It's systematic. I can't, I can't do that, right? And then the Hispanics, they're basically planning world domination in the Midwest with everything. But <laughs> it's okay to laugh today. We're going to talk about racism. Um, but I, what, what I really want out of this moment is for us to kind of have an examination of our heart. Can I just be honest with you? Everyone's going to get offended. That's like, like, sorry, I I got offended while I was studying for this. And I think maybe you might be offended as well. In those moments, you can choose to shut off your ears or you can choose to say, God, work on my heart. And and you know what? The truth is the United States needs some help. And we're going to have what we call a blameless autopsy. Rather than me sit on the stage and blame and point at you, instead we're going to examine and say, what is the issue, God? Deal with it in my heart. And that's what, I, that's what I hope for you today, and that's what I hope for all of us, that we can see better diversity. And so we're going to start with the passage. We'll talk about the, the Word of God, and then we'll talk about racism, then we'll see what the Word of God has to say about it, and then we'll wrap it up at the end. So our verse today is found in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 19, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It's up on the screen if you don't have it. Here's what it says. It says, we love because he, that's Jesus, first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have, what's that word? Whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us the command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. The title of my message today is, I see you. I I, I see you. And at the end of this message, we want us to be able to see everyone that's in this room. So I, I like a little feedback. So help me out. Help me preach real fast. I want you to touch the neighbor next to you. Touch them and say, neighbor, good morning. I see you. I see you. You look good, boo. I see you. I see you. Touch the opposite neighbor, your second choice, and be like, I see you too. You all right? It's, it's, it's happening. I see you. I see you. We're talking about I see you. Let's pray and we'll get started. Uh, Jesus, we need you this morning. Uh, we need you to come in and examine our hearts Help us to be vulnerable. Help us not just to hear my words, but to hear your words. We didn't come in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit, that our faith would be based upon the Holy Spirit and not upon upon words. And so we pray that you would speak to us 
that you would change us from the inside out. We love you. It's your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. If I can for the next couple minutes, I just, I just want to talk with you as a brother. And not like a brother, but like as a brother, like a brother and sister. If I could just talk with you about experiences that we that I think we could we we see and we we experience. I I go on Facebook for the majority of time to see cute pictures of other people's kids and not cats because they're going anyway. Not cats, but just see kids. But I also go to see the debates. All right, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Right, I like the debates. And, and this particular day, I went and there's this debate about racism. Does racism still happen? What's going on with racism? So I pull out my popcorn metaphorically, right, and I'm going through the comments and I'm ooh, it's 100 comments right? And I'm going through it. And as we're going, they're going back and forth and they're fighting. And to the end, they get to this conclusion that says racism doesn't exist. Actually, it's just propaganda by our media. No one I know ever experiences racism. And as I read that, and I saw how many likes there were, and how many people agreed, I threw my metaphorical popcorn on the ground. And got a little frustrated because the truth is, as, as a brother of yours, that's not been my experience. That's not been what I've experienced growing up and as an adult. One of the earliest memories I have of my dad and of me and my little brother and my dad hanging out is we were, we were, we were driving back in town. And my dad proposes this great question, what do we want for breakfast, pancakes or waffles, and of course, I'm the pancake dude, so I'm like, let's go get some pancakes, IHOP, whatever, and my brother's like, waffles, and finally, we finished the fight, and my dad's like, we'll get waffles. Now, I'm not going to tell you the name of the restaurant we went to, but they have waffle in their name, all right? So we went to go get waffles at this particular waffle place, and we walk in, and typically how it works out is you go in, and you find your own seat, and then once you find your seat, they bring the, the waitress comes to you, so we Find a seat, we sit down, and a waitress comes up to us. And the waitress says, excuse me, you can't sit there. So my dad's like, oh, I mean, it's empty. Okay, let's, so he gets up, we all get up, we go to the next table over, and she goes, no, you can't sit anywhere in here. And just in case we didn't get the hint, she said, we're not serving you, nigger. So my dad looks at me anger slash shame slash frustration. I'm eight. My brother's like four. And he says, let's get pancakes. And we walk out and we go to get pancakes. And unfortunately, the issue of racism has been woven into the history of the United States. This year, 2019, marks 400 years since the very first slave ship with African, Africans on it came to the United States, which would begin a process of over 200 years of chattel slavery. But you can go before then to what the Native Americans had experienced. Or you can go to recent years, like at World War II when everything happened and, and they began to take Japanese Americans who had been here for decades and they put them into an internment camp which is basically a good word for a concentration camp in the United States. Racism, point number one, it's, it still exists. Racism still exists. 
This is the experience of millions of Americans. And we're, we're stuck saying the same thing that eight-year-old me said. Do you see me? Like, do you see me or do you just see my skin tone? Do you recognize who my dad is or, or my little brother is? Or I don't understand why we can't have waffles right now. What is it that you see that, that I don't see? Do you see me? And so that we're clear, I, I kind of want to express and define what we mean by racism. And so I have this definition today. It's a broad definition. It says this, racism is a belief that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. And so this is broad enough to hold things like racial prejudices, which is just that you prejudge someone based off of their, their skin tone. So not all racism is overt. You have racism that's like calling, calling the police on the barbecue, right? You have the overt things. And then you have the things that are covert or hidden. Where we look at someone and we automatically assume, huh, why do you talk like that? You're not black. Right? One, of my, one of my favorite things is when I'm, I call a parent on the phone. I'm a youth pastor. So sometimes I talk to parents on the phone. I'm like, yes, we'll see your student. And they come in and meet me in real life. And you're like, oh, you're black, right? I'm like. Oh, you thought I wasn't black because I speak English? <laughs> like, like, like there's overt and there's covert ra racism that happens, there's prejudices, and then there's discriminations that happen. But, but basically, all of it is based on how people look. How people look. And it used to be when Italian-Americans and Irish-Americans came to the United States, they experienced racism too. But now, really, everyone's conflated if they look alike. And so if you look Caucasian, you're white. And if you look black, you're black. Doesn't matter your heritage, doesn't matter where you came from, none of that stuff matters. What happens is we choose to judge someone based off of what they look like. And that's what racism is. Miles McPherson is a pastor in, in Chicago and he comments on this, uh, this social test that they've come to find out is called the in-group versus the out-group bias. What basically happens is this. You and I, in this room, we have people who are in our in-group, whether that's family, whether that's friends, people that we associate with, that's our in-group. And what happens with our in-group is we naturally, we cling to them. We assume better things about our in-group. And then we have an out-group that we don't cling to, that we assume negative things. So if you're in a room and you're Oklahoma University fam, boomer sooner, right? If you're, that's you in a room, there's, there's this natural in-group that kind of happens where you're like, yes, we're going to dominate the world, right? That's, what, that's how you feel. You look at other OU people, you don't even know them. They just have an OU shirt. You're like, high five, buddy, right? Boomer, it happens everywhere, right? That's what happens because it's this in-group. But then we look at another team like Alabama, we're like, that's the wrong kind of red, right? Like, and we begin to judge them and what they, who they are, what's going on. And the in-group and out-group biases affects our whole life. It controls our life. We begin to have in-group and out-group biases based off of what we see of other people's colors. And we know this because we start to use the word they derogatively, right? Like them over there or those people or they, that all of a sudden becomes a dirty word. A good example of this is literally on my flight in this week, yesterday, or on Friday, I was flying in. As you flew in, 
we, uh, we're, we're leaving West Palm, and we're towards the group in the back. And what happens is basically we have a bunch of carry-on luggages, and they make an announcement. Like, if you have carry-on luggage, all the overhead bins are completely filled. Check in your luggage. Some people were not happy about that. And particularly, there's this one lady who's dark-skinned and caused a, a fit, right? I mean, like, caused the mad black woman fit. That we all assume. They're like, oh, she's one of those black people, right? That's, like, that's, that's what, what ended up happening. And she's like, no, I don't want to check my bag in. I don't want to. This is, this is important to me. I'm pretty sure you haven't checked all the overhead bins. I can go in and like, ma'am, you will check it in or you won't get on the plane. So she checks it in. This lady sits three rows in front of me. And there's a lady right behind her, right in front of me, who begins to talk loudly about this lady. This lady's lighter skinned. And she's like, well, if they didn't respond like that, maybe they'll have a better response from the group. And I thought, who's they? Like, because she's dark-skinned, she's a they, she's, you assume she's black, you assume that she's African-American. The crazy part is this, is at the end of the trip, when we're leaving and we're heading out, I talk with this lady, and I'm like, are, are you okay? Is everything okay? Do you need anything? This individual was not African. She was from the Bahamas. And her bag was the last bag that she had because her whole house was crushed. She was saying, I just want to keep my bag close to me because I've lost everything else. And immediately, you see how the in-group versus out-group biases controls us. Makes us make assumptions about people that we have no right to make an assumption about. She just must be angry because she's a black angry woman. Versus realizing she's bohemian, but also she has nothing left. We do this all the time, too. I, I'm, I'm going to make it even more awkward, just to be honest with you. We do this all the time, especially when there's shootings. You see something on the news, and it's, it's another black unarmed teenager shot by a Caucasian cop and immediately the whole United States splits into in-groups versus out-groups. So we have our black friends in the room and those who agree with them who will say, they're all racist. All officers are racist. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what they see. I've been pulled over eight times. You don't understand. They're all racist. In-group versus out-group biases. But if you've got to know them, instead of assuming, you realize racist cops are a very small portion of all cops. The majority of cops are brave men and women who run towards things that everyone else runs away from. And at the end of the day, their families are waiting, saying, I just want them to come home safe. In-group versus out-group biases. But it works on the opposite end as well. Like, like, we hear people say things like, well, if they stopped shooting themselves, we wouldn't have to send cops there. Right? Can, can I just tell you, the whole thing about black-on-black crime, yes, that's an issue. But can I tell you, black-on-black crime is the not, not the only type of crime that happens within a race. As a matter of fact, FBI statistics show every race is the number one perpetrator against their own race. That just makes sense. You live around people who are your race. So when we say black-on-black black crime, but we don't use any other race, what we're really doing is doing propaganda. White people kill white people. Mexican people kill Mexican people. That's, that's what it is. But beyond that, can you imagine when I hear people that go and I see on Facebook or the Internet, and they say, just comply. 
You should, he got shot because he didn't comply with the officer. Many of us in the room have never had to have this talk. And I've had to have this talk with two students of mine where I say to them and I sit down and I say, listen, I know you're like top of your class and you're doing well and you live in this wealthy neighborhood where, you're, where your parents live at because they're doing well for themselves. But w- when you're walking home at night from your study group, you need to be very careful because to someone else from the outside looking in, you look like a threat. I know you're not a threat. I've seen you fight. You can't fight. I know you're not a threat. (laughs) But to other people, because of your skin tone, and shouldn't an officer arrive, I don't care how scared you are, don't you run, because that's going to escalate the situation. And now when they have you in handcuffs and you're mad about it because you really haven't done anything about it, if you don't comply and they kill you, it's your fault. So therefore, even in your fear and your anger, just come home safe. When you look at both groups, you start to realize both groups just want their family members home safe. Both groups are going through situations in which they may be scared or fearful or they don't know how to handle it. And both groups, really, they just want their family members safe. This is this in-group versus out-group biases that cause us to look at other people just based off of their skin or just based off the uniform they're wearing or just based upon what they're, what they're wearing in, in general. And we say, because of that, they're different than me. And, in, and really, they're not. They have the same fears, sometimes the same experiences that you have. That's why, and here's our next point, that's why racism isn't just a skin issue, it's a sin issue. Racism at its core is really an issue of sin, an issue of the heart. This is what our verse is telling us today. When we get to 1 John chapter 4, John is one of the closest disciples to, to Jesus. Jesus has this gathering, about 500 people who are always following him. And inside that gathering, he's chose 12 to be his close disciples. And within those 12, he chooses three. John is one of those three. One of the three, they get to see the transfiguration, get to see certain miracles that other people don't. And John is this close relationship to Jesus. Eventually what happens is once Jesus dies, Peter becomes the head of the church and Peter dies. And now John is in charge. And John is writing to fellow believers in Asia Minor who are struggling with community, in-group versus out-group. And here he begins to say to them, if you say you love God, How can you say that when you can't see him, yet you hate your brother that you do see? And he's using such strong language that he's saying, if you claim to be a Christian in the room, yet you are demonstrating hatred to someone based solely upon the fact that they're in your out group, I question your Christianity. That's what what John is saying. And if we could have a moment of just honesty to look at ourselves and say, are there people in our life that just based upon skin color, we've chosen not to love them? And in all actuality, John's saying, no, they're worthy of love because they're your brother and your sister. Whether they look like you or smell like you or not. That's why the, the answer to this can't be, well, I'm just colorblind. 
Now, now listen, I love my friends who say this, but the truth is, his next point, God is not colorblind. He's not colorblind. And I don't even really know what that means. Like when you come up to me and you say, I, I, don't, I don't see race, bro. I'm colorblind. I'm like, well, then what color am I? Like, I'm not like, I know it's a black shirt, black background, but do you see me? Can you, can you, can like, I don't understand what color am I? And the truth is, God's not colorblind. He created color. He created diversity. God, there is only one race, and that's the human race, and he created it to have diversity, and in that diversity, because he loves diversity. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I just want to be real with you. I didn't realize that all the characters in the Bible weren't white until I was, like, 16. Right? Like, I, I thought about, like, King David, and I was like, he has to look like Russell Crowe. He has to. That's just imagine. Like, that's what I imagined. And it wasn't until I started to realize that that these characters in the Bible look more like Osama bin Laden than like Donald Trump. And I, I, and I don't mean that politically or morally. I mean that color-wise. And so if, if, you're, if your frustration with people in the Middle East is solely because of their color, you've missed who Jesus is. Jesus, when he... When, when, he, when God is creating the universe and choosing which of the possible worlds to actualize, the one he does actualize is one in which he comes to earth as a Middle Eastern male. He could have came rainbow colored. Right? Like, he could have shown up and been like, ta-da, brilliant. Right? He could have done something like that. But instead, he chose to come as a race, affirming that there is one race, the human race, and diversity is beautiful to him. God's not colorblind. He sees your color. So, some of you in the room, man, you've gone through experiences like I've gone through, and you're like, does anybody see me? If, if God's colorblind, does he, not, does he not see what I go through? No, God's not colorblind. Your skin tone is a gift from God. Your skin tone will not change when you go to heaven. Like, you don't change your being. You don't become an angel with wings all of a sudden. I'm sorry to tell you that. Some of you guys are like, dang, I wish I could fly, right? Like, like I, I'm so, you become your glorified you, which is the same color. That means that when God created you, he created you with a purpose, on purpose, to have the skin color that you do have on purpose. God's not colorblind. And because of that, there's some implications that you and I must have about our faith and must have about us. And it's this. It's that our next point. Jesus is the strongest adjective we have. The most important adjective we have. And some of you guys in the room who are the grammar Nazis are like, Jesus is not an adjective. I know. I'm getting to it. All right. Here's what I mean by that. I mean this. We have these adjectives that are in groups in our life. Football player. Athlete. Black, white, Republican, Democratic, and of all the adjectives that you assume in your life, guess what? The most important adjective is the one of Jesus, the one where he came down to this earth to die for you, to say that I love you regardless of what you've done, what you look like, and what's going on in your life. I love you. Because of that, that's what the church should be heralding. Could it be that racism is still an issue because the church is more con concerned about other adjectives than the adjective of Jesus? Because of the last 100 years, we've been more concerned about politics or about other. These are important adjectives, but the number one, most important one, 
is to see people beyond their skin tone, beyond their heritage, but to see the fact that, that God created them and he loves them. That's what 1 John 4, 19 is saying. There's a little caveat at the very, very beginning of that passage that says, we know love because God first loved us. We should shape our in-group based upon who God loves, and that's everyone. And it's okay to have an adjective, but it's not okay to dislike or hate other people because they don't share that adjective. Jesus is the most important adjective that we should have. So maybe you're in a room and you're saying, okay, I want to do better. I want to be better. What do I do? I want to give you two application points. The first is this, is begin to see others beyond their color, beyond what they go through. Begin to see other people. There's an article that came out by a guy by the name of Mr. Jones, and he speaks about something called the right hand of privilege. And what we have to do is we have to, to see others and see their injustices that they're going through to do something about it. To see the injustices that others are going through and to do something about it. Right hand of privilege says this. If, if you're in a room and you're a left hand person, you get this already. You already know this intuitively. But he says, look at the world you live in and think about how many things cater to you because you're right handed. Like which side of the road you may drive on or when it writes, like you read from the left to the right, so any of our left-handed friends who are writing, you get smudge marks all over your hand as you're writing, if you have the wrong pen, or if you go to go golf, all your friends can go and just get clubs, but you have to specially order on Amazon, right? Like, like there are these privileges that just come from being right-handed in the United States because that's our culture. And what can begin to happen is we begin to look at these outer groups and because we only see our right-hand privilege, we don't see the injustices that they may be going through. When they say things like, what I'm experiencing in a corporate world is, is uncomfortable. It's not suited for me. Our response is like, no, it's fine for me. I didn't have those issues. It's because you've been biased by your view. By the way, if you're, if you're a naturalist in the room, or an atheist, or a naturalist especially, or a moral realist, a moral relativist, excuse me, you, you, can't, you can't sustain this position without eventually coming to cognitive dissonance. And here's what I mean by that. If you're a naturalist in the room, and that means that there's nothing spiritual that, that exists, only what's natural, and there is no God, and nothing like that, then ultimately what you have to say is whichever in-group beats out the other in-group is the one that's the right one. Right? Like, like, like fish don't eat bears. Bears eat fish. Therefore, might makes right. And if my in-group is stronger than your in-group, guess who wins? Also, if you're a moral relativist in the room, that means that there is no objective morality. There is no objective right or wrong. What's right for them is right for them. What's wrong for them is wrong for them. And if you believe that, what eventually happens is all moral choices are on a par. And so there is no difference between lynching an African person and what Martin Luther King did. Why? Because they're on a par morally. There's no objective. The only way to sustain that there's objective morality is to have the adjective of Jesus and to see the injustices that happen to do something about it. 
see the injustice that happened. Last one is this. See that diversity starts with you. Everyone stand with us. Everyone stand with us. See that diversity starts with you. We are brothers and sisters. Because of that, we are a family. That means diversity can't start with someone else. It has to start with you. And when it starts with you, and it leads to the next person and the next person, that's when diversity begins to catch on. When's the last time you invited someone to your house that was a different color? Like not just someone you worked with and say, oh, I'm friendly to the black folks. Or you know what, me and my Latin friends, we hang out all the time. When's the last time that you said, no, come into my house? I know my introverts are like scared, please don't, right? Like just, just get, come into my friendship. You have to see that diversity starts with you. And then when you have an option, an opportunity, then you begin to ask them what their experiences are. Instead of leading with, listen, I didn't own slaves. That's someone way, 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 way in the back. Realize we have family history together. And because we're a family and there's family history, there's stuff that has to be taken care of. And healing and mending that needs to happen. Before you say, you know what, they need to, they need to recognize I'm not forgiving anybody because what they did to my grandparents. My, my friends and I, we joke about 23 and me because this is like this new thing that's like super big and everyone's trying to get it for their birthday and everything. I want to find out where my heritage comes from. Do you know like for most black people, they don't like that? Here's why. I'm going to be real with you. It's because when they look into their history, really it ends at the 1800s because most of them find out that they're, the her- they're, they're from a slave and they don't even know their slave's last name or what boat they came on, what part of Africa that they came from family history. There needs to be forgiveness. But there needs to be reconciliation as well. Diversity can't start from out there. Listen, church, it has to start with you. It has to start with me. Diversity has to start with us. This is a really cool verse. John, the same person who's writing 1 John, he's, uh, he's writing Revelation, and Revelation is this vision that God gives him about the end times. And this is what it says, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10. Just jumping up on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, after this, I, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed all in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great Roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. If you can see this vision, John is seeing the end of history, and he sees so many people that he can't even count them, but amongst them he says he sees every nation, tribe. And by the way, in the original Greek, nation is the only term that's not pluralized. And what he's insinuating is there is only one nation. That is the human nation that's standing before the throne. And then he recognizes that because there's different colors, there's different tribes, and there's different languages. But they're all wearing the same robe. The white robe that has been cleaned by the sacrifice made by Jesus. And because of that sacrifice, 
Because of that love, they're all in front of the throne saying, Jesus, you brought salvation to us. And I'm convinced if you and I could begin to see the vision that John had, which is that people of different skin color are worthy of salvation as you are, are loved by God just as much as you are, then we'll be able to see them the way that God sees them. If we see them the way that God sees them, we'll finally be able to truly see the people that are across from us. Will you, will you see them? Eyes closed and heads bowed. There's two responses this morning. First response is this. Maybe you're in a room and you just needed to say, I, I didn't even know that God saw me. Maybe you've never given your life to God. And today's the day that you want to enter into a right relationship with him. You want to ask him to be your Lord and Savior, whether it's the first time or whether you need to make a recommitment. In just a moment, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hands. If that's you, one, two, three, would you raise your hand? Amen. Second response is this. If you're in a room and you're saying, the truth is, I need to see people the way God sees them. I need to start allowing diversity to start with me. Whether it's the fact that you need to start forgiving because of past hurts and injuries in our family history, whether it's because you need to start reaching out and inviting people to your house. That's you, and you're saying, I'm going to do that. When I count to three, would you so boldly raise your hand? I'm going to raise my hand because I know diversity starts with my family. That's you. One, two, three. Right now, would you raise your hand? Amen. you put that hand over your heart and allow me to pray for you. Dear Father, I pray for everyone in the room that's saying, I want diversity to come and to start with me. I want to be able to see people the way you see them, Jesus. I want to invite everyone into my in-group rather than making prejudices based off of their out-group. Instead, I want to demonstrate to them the love you first demonstrated to me. Help me. Give me boldness. When there's awkward moments, help me to live through those. And help me not to get offended at first, but, but to go further than that so that we can see diversity amongst our family, amongst our friends. We love you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.